Parts of this story involve graphic depictions of sexual violence and abuse. If you need help, Rain, that's R-A-I-N-N, has a lot of resources, including a 24-hour helpline. That's 800-656-HOPE. 800-656-HOPE. This podcast is not associated or endorsed by Rain, but they are a wonderful resource dedicated to making the world a better place. Darker Days of Dorothy Gale Aftermath for Episode 17, Chapter 13, The Lost Queen. Well, here we are again, wondering why it took so long for Reese's to make an all-peanut-butter-peanut-butter-cup. I mean, really. In retrospect, it seems pretty obvious that that would be a awesome idea. Okay, maybe that's not why we're here today. Instead, there is a lot to unpack from this week's episode of Darker Days of Dorothy Gale. Chapter 13 is one of the longest non-aftermath, non-special episodes of the entire series. It's also probably the most dense, at least up to this point, anyway. Similar to Chapter 11, The Conception, this chapter is yet another history lesson. It details very specific years in the history of the land, starting with year zero and ending with years 30 through 110. There are a lot of long-running themes and undertones in this book. Religion and spirituality, parenthood, motherhood, loss, grief, redemption, shame, morality, nature versus nurture, suicide as well as sexual violence, along with the trauma caused by that violence. In the beginning of the book, we saw that trauma and the results of it with the man with the spring heels. We saw that again in the conception. And now that we've gone through this, it's time to look at the repercussions. Lady Quinneth feels a deep shame. She entered into this marriage with King Lorenz for all the wrong reasons. She let him defile her for all the wrong reasons. Everything was worse than she expected. The waking nightmare she was a part of 
was worse than she expected. I won't get too far into the weeds of what does and does not constitute rape. Some might say that Quinneth chose this life. She willingly complied. Thus, the ordeal in chapter 11 was consensual. As far as I'm concerned, what happens to her in chapter 11 is, in fact, marital rape. Simply being married to someone, male or female, does not mean your spouse can force themselves on you. Marriage does not make sexual assault not a thing. Quinneth feels a deep shame and sense of remorse when she becomes pregnant. When her children are born, she abandons them completely. She looks at them and only sees her own failings and flaws. She never looks at herself as a victim, because she feels as though she has no right to, even though she has every right to. We also meet Lothor. I mean, I know we've met him before, but we kind of meet him in a whole new light for this chapter. We find out that he's not just a creature drifting out in the greys. We see that his life was actually very full, and his existence was very, very important. He was a very key figure in the history of the land and in the life of Ozma and her sisters. When Quinneth gives up her children, without so much as naming them, it's Lothor that takes them in. I want to be 100% clear. What he does to the children is abhorrent and vile. While he claims he is giving the children a gift, and what he is doing is for their own good, he is still indeed a monster. His motives are still self-serving. The children will inherit the land whether they have any magical abilities or not. Those, of course, are my own thoughts on him. All art is subjective, and I will leave it to the audience to come up with their own conclusions, even if they disagree with me. Is it just a case of the ends justifying the means? Or is it truly self-serving behavior disguised as a gift? When God the Father has his child beaten and crucified, it's for the betterment of all mankind, right? Of course, I'm talking about the ritual he performs on the children when he names them and grants them the ability to perform magic. The names each have a specific meaning, though I can't remember what any of those meanings are. I imagine I have the specifics in a text document or audio recording or on a random scrap of paper somewhere. But in my head? I got nothing. Ozma, of course, has to be named Ozma. The character name comes from Baum himself. 
Vel, Devoren, Eiffel, and Gracia, however, are Tyler Martinez originals. What? Oh, jeez. Oh, okay, okay. You win. You win. You've twisted my arms. I, I will be right back. Just let me take a look here. It's just uh, there's got to be somewhere in these old drafts. Let's yeah. Okay, here we are. Vel, V-E-L, comes from the word wile, as in seductive and not afraid to use her feminine wiles to get her way, or wily, as in deceitful and deceptive. I looked into the etymology of the term and found that it comes from will, W-I-L, in Middle English. V-E-L comes from Old Norse language. Eiffel, Y-F-E-L, is a take on the word evil, as in, she's evil. Pretty basic. This name also comes from Middle English. My pronunciation of it may or may not coincide with history, but it's my character's name, so, you know, I can pronounce it however I want. Devorin is a take on the word devour, as in she will devour you, or eat you. Also, Devorin is a real name, something I was not aware of until I sat down to write this Aftermath episode. This character, however, is not based on anyone. I don't think I looked too deep into the etymology of the word when I came up with this particular name. And Gracia, oh, Gracia, has a lot packed into it. It means free, as in free spirit, free of magical bonds, encapsulates free will, etc., etc. It is also derived from the Latin de gratia, meaning by the grace of God. Again, my pronunciation may not line up with other pronunciations and history in general. For all I know, the Latin phrase could be pronounced gratia. I am not a linguist. It also means grace, mercy, and elegance. At one time, I had other plans for the sisters and their individual personalities and story arcs. Their names were each tied to those ideas. For the most part, those story arcs were dropped, but the names remained unchanged. I've checked my old drafts in hopes of figuring out how I came up with the words Lothor Chance while he's doing the ritual, but came up empty-handed. I should probably be better at note-taking. Honestly, I probably just googled chance, as in C-H-A-N-T-S, not like the card you get in a Monopoly game. Or I looked up chanting or yoga chant, probably found some I liked and mixed them together. 
I'm not a particularly spiritual person. I don't really buy into holistic things like the healing powers of essential oils or magic rocks, or the deep release of stress by slowly stretching into awkward yoga poses. The chants were probably just an amalgam of things I personally find silly. Not saying all you yogis out there are silly. To each their own. It's just not my jam. And you kind of have to admit, to an outsider, things be getting a little bit weird out there. Also, fun bit of trivia. While sifting through old drafts and notes, I came across a mostly unused outline. I had forgotten almost all of the stuff I threw out or changed. Among the changes were character names. Ozma and her sisters were originally Ozma 1, Ozma 2, Ozma 3, and so forth. At some point, I will put that outline on the website, ddofdg.com. It has some slight spoilers, but for the most part, it's just a look at the earliest version of my vision for this book. And like I said, most of it was unused, so even the spoilers are pretty unspoilery. I'll keep you posted and let you know when it's available to read. At the time of this recording, it is June 9th, 2022. So if you're listening months or years later, it's probably already there. I wanted Lothor to be more complicated than just an abusive figure or generic wizard or warlock. I wanted him to have some semblance of integrity and even a little bit of humility. The fact that he is literally pained by this ordeal and that he bleeds with them, is important. I also point out in this chapter that he never strikes them out of anger. He cares for them and comforts them in their darkest hours, and he never touches them inappropriately. I use the term inappropriately to suggest sexually. Ritualistic bloodletting is very inappropriate. Outside of this instance of extreme abuse, he is a strong figure in their life. He's fair, and he's just. Isn't he? When Ozma and the sisters approach him with their plan to kill their parents, it's Gracia that he looks to. Gracia, of course, being the child he did not have the heart to harm. She has the gift of humility. And empathy. And because of this, she has a strange bond with Lothor the other children don't. We also meet Joseph. I know, I know, we've already met Joseph, you don't have to tell me. But we get a better idea of where he actually came from and what his motives are here. This is kind of them meeting Joseph. Anyways, I digress. I think this might be the first instance of using his last name and actually calling him Joseph Smith. I could be mistaken. I mean, we've already established. 
I have a terrible memory, even for my own words. Either way, we get a bit more of his past. We see how influential he was to the land, as Dorothy knows it, as you know it. Once again, I find myself feeling slightly guilty. I mentioned before, in the first season, that if I were to write this book with a more mature mindset and perspective on life, I would likely have not used Joseph Smith for this. But I did. If I ever write Darkest Days of Dorothy Gale, I have every intention of repenting and at least attempting to make amends for this character choice. While I tend to be more of an agnostic person myself, and critical of many organized religions, I don't particularly revel in mocking them outright. At least, not anymore. When I was younger, obviously I was a little more careless with my words. Anyway, again, I digress. We see his arrival, though more details will come to light later on, and we see him falling in love with Gracia. The wheels are put in motion fairly quickly, and before you know it, he manages to dismantle the Empire from the top down. He convinces Gracia, who then convinces her sisters, to do away with Lothor. He explains that Lothor is an old-school drain on their power, and is really just manipulating them for his own desires. Whether that's true or not is entirely up to you. Once Lothor is out of the picture, Joseph convinces Gracia to eliminate her sisters. They're no good, he says. Not literally, I don't think I actually used the phrasing, they're no good, but you get the idea. Anyways, Gracia agrees. Way back in the day, I believe it was the aftermath for the river in the stork chapter of Dark Days of Dorothy Gale, I referenced one of my favorite podcasts, the now-defunct Mystic Party. It wasn't my usual brand of humor. It was crude and crass and full of gross-out sex jokes. But for some reason or other, I loved it. The death of Ozma and her sisters is directly influenced by the Mystic Party. Specifically, their episode, Christian Ghost Fiancé Mingle. Yeah, I know, that's a stupid episode title, but that's what it was. Anyway, it made me laugh, and I just so happened to be working on this chapter the day I listened to that episode. I'm gonna go ahead and include the audio from that episode right here, I somehow doubt they would care if a clip from their podcast that dropped in 2016 was showcased here. I would even venture a guess that there's a 99% chance they will never know. <laughs> 
This clip is about six minutes long, so if you're not interested, you can skip ahead. <clears throat> it's this story's rated R, by the way. <laughs> is that gonna offend you? Yeah, are you okay with that? I, That's your show. I'm your show. I'm always offended, mm -hmm. but I tolerate it in the name of science. Mm. Phallus-shaped mushroom can instantly trigger an intense female orgasm. A brightly colored fungus found only on Hawaiian lava flows might be the most powerful aphrodisiac ever discovered. Hawaiian folklore speaks of an elusive rare mushroom found growing only on recent lava flows that is sought after by women for its strong aphrodisiac properties. One whiff, it is said, can instantly induce a powerful female orgasm. Oh. Naturally, <laughs> naturally, science had to investigate, and it turns out the mushroom is real. Yes, it actually works. Back in 2001, researchers John Halliday and Noah Sule set out to collect and test bright orange-colored mushrooms found growing on uh, 60 to 10,000-year-old lava flows on the Big Island of Hawaii. The fungus is labeled as a Dictyphoria species, a group of mushrooms which are, perhaps appropriately, known for being phallus-shaped. The mushroom's bright color and the fact that it grows on lava flows just makes it all the more sexier. The study, which appeared in the International <laughs> Journal of Medicinal, Medicinal Mushrooms, was the first to describe the morphology and chemistry of the mushroom. It also included a smell test, whereby half of all female participants were recorded having experienced spontaneous orgasms while sniffing the mushroom. Here's a question I have. Are you equally as turned on by things growing in lava and uh, being brightly covered, colored as I am? I love it. Yeah, if it makes comes you... on lava. I'm into it. Yeah, that's that is the two things I look for in a turn on. Like I said, that article, women were searching for it, yeah. and then the two scientists were dudes. Of course. <laughs> it was but... true. Women are constantly searching for <laughs> right. the ultimate aphrodisiac. Right. They just want to get it done, you know. Among lava, women, it's sixty to women, ten thousand years old. <laughs> women just they just want to get it over. It is how women feel. And they're ready to go. They just want to smell something quick. <laughs> get it done. Get it and done. Move right there. That is that is the theory about women. It's not a theory. Fifty percent. That's pretty high. Like that works. That's a fifty percent immediate orgasm. Immediate. Sounds painful to me. Right. I don't understand. That just seems the, like... And 50% of women have never orgasmed. Mm -hmm. Right. So what does that mean? That only 25% are actually... Well, it's probably that all of them would, but 50% just can't. It's just... Oh, I see what you're saying. Right. It's 100%. It's really 100% of possible... But it's 50%. Yeah. Wait a second. So you think 50% of women cannot orgasm or cannot. just have not orgasmed? Are you suggesting that it might be the man's fault? <laughs> it, might, it might be other or issues. the woman in whom she's with the lesbian relationship. Sure, yeah. Uh, uh -huh. Let's be real. They're all orgasming. <laughs> the, women, <laughs> the women who are with other women. No. They're not in that 50%. No, I don't believe it. Okay. Could be. It's a physiological improbability. You think 50% of women just cannot physically orgasm unless they smell a mushroom. No, I'm and saying, then they still can't. Right, exactly. There's just nothing that's going to make it happen. They should be nons or 
Something like that. None. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can't orgasm, you, you shouldn't have a job. <laughs> if you, yeah. Well, you, you should have a, have a job, but it should be the, at the nunnery. It should be a specific one <laughs> that. Convent. Yeah, that doesn't allow orgasm. Your job should be it's punishing your, children. Right. Your, jo- <laughs> your, your job should be dictated by how often and whether or not you can orgasm. Mm-hmm. For example, presidents cannot orgasm. They oh, should. Interesting. That's not. I feel like it needs to be an or- a powerful orgasm. Oh, Even orgasm, it's got to be powerful. This type of orgasm is dictated. I see <laughs> right. what you're saying. I got what you're saying. That's why the Monica Lewinsky scandal happened. Because he has a powerful orgasm? It was just an explosion. Ugh, there was no question after. There was no hiding it. Um, I like that also it's phallus-shaped, so yeah. women were like really looking for it. Oh, they're all out there mushrooms. searching. All mushrooms yeah. are phallus. You make a <laughs> solid point that all mushrooms... <laughs> Are phallus shaped. Yeah, they all that's, look like dicks. That's weird about mushrooms, huh? Well, I think it's more about like you could see um, uh, phallus in anything and uh, anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, they say like male end of the plug. That's suggesting a phallic element to it. Flowers also it, have. There's nothing gendered about it. It's just a functional thing. Uh, if you look at palm trees, they look like <laughs> they look like dicks. These are all. These are all. These are all circumcised dicks. Where, <laughs> but if you're talking about like maybe like you know, what's that it's big like, tower in D.C.? Uh, the, the Washington Monument. That one. The tower. That tower in D.C. Tower looks a lot like a dick. Mm-hmm. The Tower of D.C. Yes. Well, that was a man-made. Yeah, monoliths were all supposed right. to, but they were built to be phallic. Well, you think you think that the stuff in Matron or probably also. What part of a palm tree looks like a penis to you? <laughs> All of it? Uh, if you or which look, way am I looking at it? Is the branches the like my my? It depends. Like if branches are the top. If you had uh, a very large uh, penile head, yeah, okay. it, the top would be the leaves. Now on the other wow. hand, if you had a gigantic uh, amount of pubic hair, see that's almost how I'm imagining it. Like the palm tree is like a skinny fucking the ground. Okay, yeah. next news story. <laughs> That's what I think about when I'm driving around. <laughs> okay, here we are. Once again, humor is in the ears of the beholder. I wanted a unique way to kill the sisters off, or at least get rid of them. Is this weird, bizarre sex scene gratuitous? I don't know. Is it needless? I don't know. Is it humorous? Like I thought it was when I wrote it six years ago? Uh, You know, that's entirely up to you. Once the sisters are gone, we get a small meeting with a familiar character when Glinda arrives to pick up the remains. We end with a flare of true crime when Gracia disappears leaving the mysterious and manipulative husband to his own devices. Boy, I really wish I could have Keith Morrison read that line. That would be pretty rockin'. Anyways, if I missed something or failed to address something you feel I should have, by all means, let me know. I'm always open to questions comments, or constructive criticism. You don't have to like this show.
I don't know why you're listening if you don't, but like it or not, you can be nice. I know you can. I believe in you. You can always contact me on Twitter. At least at the time of this recording. We'll see how that platform is in a, you know, a few months from now, or years maybe. It's Dark Dorothy G. You can email me at darkdaysofdorothygale at outlook.com. You can find me on Instagram, TikTok, or, yes, another Twitter account where the handle is at the ordinary sun. That's S U N. TikTok doesn't have much Dark Days content, it's mostly video games and memes there. My Instagram is a mishmash of stuff, and my non-Dark Days Twitter account is a mix of Dark Days content, complaints about Elon Musk, and short-form news radio fanfiction. And of course, there is always the official Dark Days website, ddofdg.com. As of this recording, it has some cool Dark Days of Dorothy Gale merchandise and a small amount of Darker Days of Dorothy Gale merchandise, along with a collection of artwork, such as photography and sketches. Also, I've pulled Darker Days from Amazon. At this moment, I don't want to charge people for this experience. I want the story of Dorothy Gale to be largely free. If you would like to support the show, buying a t-shirt or a sticker or something really is the coolest way to go. I've got a lot of creative ventures going at all times. Photography, writing, podcasting, and believe it or not, I don't do any of this to make money. So, if for some incredibly strange reason you do want to support me as an artist, financially, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash ordinary sun. Again, that's S-U-N. If you do, I'll give you a shout out on this unsuccessful and obscure podcast. I'll even send you a handwritten thank you note complete with a fun little sketch. If you don't want to donate to this cause, that's fine too. I'm happy to do this either way. So, come back next week for Chapter 14, The Quadling. Thanks for listening. I love you all.